Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello again. This is Stories to Keep You Up at Night. I'm Marco Palmieri. And I'm Nicole Otto. Great to be back with you, Nicole. How are you feeling about noir stories these days? I haven't watched one in a in a while. I mean, Poker Face is not noir, but it no. did kind of remind me of like a quirky take on sure. it in some ways. Um, whenever I think of, of noir or noir films, I mean, the ultimate go-to is the Maltese Falcon. Sure. Um, sure, classic. So I've been needing more of it in my life, and then... Here it came, Dizzy in the Weeds. Right. I mean, this the story we have this week is absolutely a neo-noir story. And, you know, neo-noir is just a creative way of referring to noir that is being written in the present day as opposed to the era mm-hmm. in which, um, you know, it first rose to heights. But, you know, stories like Blade Runner are mm-hmm. totally noir. Um, you know, you can have future noir. You can have noir set in the past. And like the story you have this week, you can have noir set in the present. That's a good lead-in to our next story. It's about an investigator who can speak with the dead and is forced to help a demon in order to get him off her dead mother's back. It might sound a little weird, but it's actually pretty wonderful. This is Dizzy in the Weeds, written by L.D. Lewis and voiced by Keeler Lee. Red. 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 Motherfuck. Dizzy Carter exhaled hard through her nose and tossed a threatening prayer toward the coffered hallway ceiling. Violent frustration seemed to be a prerequisite for getting hotel key cards to work. But if that was the case, she'd have been king of opening doors by now. She rotated the useless piece of plastic between gloved fingers and inserted it frontwards, backwards, upside down, in combinations and patterns reminiscent of old cheat codes. A little light still taunted her. She pressed herself into the shallow doorframe in a bid to become invisible as an amorous couple tripped down the hallway some six doors down. Even with their faces smashed together, their key card fumbled into position and their door beeped delightedly to allow them to tumble inside before slamming shut again. Dizzy huffed. Maybe she had the wrong door. Or the key had demagnetized in the old man's pocket. She checked her watch. He'd been teetering on the border of a merry and sloppy drunk when she left him at the hotel bar. This was a swanky place, all cranberry paint and gold accents. Even the sconces were crystal. They'd cut him off before long, if only to save the expensive optical illusion carpeting. Red. She talked herself down from her instinct to break the door down. She was an investigator, not a bandit. Not tonight, anyway. A bitter growl and a deep breath in, and she tried again. Green. Oh, thank fuck. She sighed and let herself inside, closing the door gently behind her. It didn't smell like a non-smoking room. In fact, even in the dark, the air seemed thick, odorous, and hazed in the light of the red exit sign. She used the flashlight on her phone to sweep the room. Frameless works of abstract art lined damask-papered walls. 
The old man's things were strewn about as if he'd been here weeks instead of the one night. Polaroids and used whiskey glasses littered the low coffee table. Dizzy scanned the photographs and found multiple angles of the same pale, lithe body in lacy emerald green lingerie. None included a face. Then again, that's probably not what he valued about her. She snapped pictures of the scene. Dizzy's one true love was two years dead. She could give a fuck how anyone else squandered their relationships. But the wife had sent her here, not to confirm the affair, but to get back the wedding band he took off to do his dirt before she started divorce proceedings. Dizzy would have declined the potential felony, only rent was due, and she wasn't a very good investigator in the first place. She moved from the suite's living space to the bedroom with its Baroque fresco in lieu of a headboard. The lavender sheets were rumpled and spattered with a wetness that made Dizzy frown. A pair of well-worn strappy high heels had been discarded by the ficus in the corner the only feminine article of clothing in the whole place. She flung the light towards the nightstands and checked the drawers of each for the ring. Nothing. She sighed again. If he was a put it in the safe guy, so help her. A sniffle. The fine hairs on Dizzy's arms stood up and she threw light back toward the front room. The haze had cleared and seemed to collect in the silhouette of a person seated on the tufted couch. As a deadwalker witch, Dizzy was no stranger to the dead. Haunted hotel rooms weren't new things either. She just didn't like being surprised. You all right? She called quietly. The ghost's head snapped in her direction, but they said nothing. Something was wrong here. A sense of dread pulled her toward the bathroom where she clicked on the light and found the ring in the soap dent of the sink and the bathtub filled with a body's worth of blood. Startled, she backed away, tripping over the gold heels and slamming her back against the closet. The door jarred open just a crack to reveal an empty rack and the edge of a hard suitcase. Dizzy swallowed hard. There had been another feeling like this, just once, two years ago. The muted chaos feeling of a billion cells worth of her soul trying to climb out of her body so she could see what she needed to see without feeling it because feeling it might kill her. Can you tell me what happened here? Dizzy called into the other room. Her voice shook and she began to sweat. She pulsed her fists, using the stab of her nails into her own palms to ground herself. The ghost didn't answer. She didn't think they would. A series of quick breaths to steal herself and she knelt to open the door. Slotting her phone down into the front of her bra so both her hands were free, she fumbled to find the zipper on the suitcase. It was another couple of breaths before she could pull it down. It took a moment to put together what she was seeing. Some part of her brain was seeing her wife's face, pale and despondent on the balcony beneath their apartment the night Dizzy'd found her dropped there. But that had already happened. This was a face she didn't know, bloodless behind a curtain of freshly washed red hair, tilted at an unnatural angle forced to fit. The eyes were just as empty. He hadn't even bothered to close them. Dizzy stared at it, breathless for a few seconds, before blinking herself back to the present. In her dealings with the dead, she was rarely confronted with the bodies. The dead were dead, and generally pleased to be so. Death was just a different life. This was different. Lonnie had been different. The violence and desperation in the air was almost nauseating. She had the presence of mind not to throw up and leave her DNA there. She rifled through the pockets of her jeans in hopes of finding something natural, a pebble, maybe a leaf. Down feathers from her wilting bedroom pillows didn't have enough mass to hold a human soul. But those were clinging to every crevice of her wardrobe, and probably her hair if she took it out of its ombre pineapple atop her head and no coins were made of pure metals anymore. The ring. She returned to the bathroom to snatch it from the counter, unable to stop herself from scanning the rest of the room. There wasn't so much as a drop of blood on any other surface, not a splash. It was as if he'd drained her somehow before stuffing her in the suitcase. She returned to the front room, panting and rolling the ring in her gloved fingers. 
if the wife wanted it back this badly, it was likely valuable and therefore pure gold. Rent would have to wait. Her one regret was the indignity she would do the ghost by storing it in a possession belonging to her killer. But the only other choice would be to leave her here, to watch the macabre scene surrounding her body when the cops showed up. I'm Desdemona, she panted as she approached. Her heart ached in her chest from the banging it was doing against her ribs. You can call me Dizzy. I'm a friend. Can you tell me your name? And Andy, the ghost hiccuped. Her voice was small and hollow, her head hanging down. Andy? Okay. Andy, did Jack do this to you? Jack Dorset? The man staying in this room? She tried to be as gentle as she could. He, yes. Dizzy crouched in front of her, searching the deep pits that made up Andy's dead eyes. Tears streaked the smoke that made up her face. Andy, there's not much I can say, and I'm sorry, but the, the dead will welcome you. Here, Andy began to wail, and Dizzy cursed herself silently. She was not the dead's therapist or some shepherd into the beyond. Her bedside manner had been eroded by years of simply not needing it. And she needed to be out of here soon before the murderer returned. You'll see, it's like an infinite family. They'll teach you to explore the world in new ways. And Andy, they will look after you. They will see that he pays for this. I promise. A void opened where Andy's mouth should be a haunting, hollow sound issuing forth as it began swallowing the smoke around it. There was the heated smell of ozone as a power surge swept the room. Distressed ghosts were always such a spectacle. Dizzy collected herself, palming the ring and pressing it to Andy's chest. I'm going to help you now, okay? She said in a steady voice. I'm going to take you with me and we're going to get out of here. She closed her eyes and muttered protections. The ring grew warm in her hand, increasing in temperature until it was almost unbearably hot, scarring her palm. When she stopped and opened her eyes again, the room was silent. The buzz of electric air dissipated, and she was left alone with the distant sounds of traffic and the menace that came with the knowledge of a body nearby. The ring was heavy in her hand and gradually cooled down. She stashed it in her pocket and set about writing the room before leaving quietly the way she'd come. Out in the hallway, she stood in front of the elevator bank, bouncing a leg impatiently and waiting for the mechanical whir to give way to a ding. It would have to wait, but she needed to get the ring bearing Andy's ghost to the desert where she could be received and taken care of. Uma would take care of it, she thought, if only after cracking a series of jokes about Dizzy the ferryman first. She shoved her gloved hands into the pockets of her bomber jacket as the elevator doors opened to reveal Mr. Dorset, red-faced and furiously patting down his own pockets. He was a large man, paunchy, broad-chested, with watery green eyes and most of his hair. He had a good six inches on her, but Dizzy had put less convenient heads through walls before. It took all of her self-control not to do it now. God damn it, he grumbled, spit clinging to his lipless beak of a mouth. Lost my key headed back down. He pressed the lobby button, not stepping to a side to allow her on, but Dizzy boarded anyway, measuring her breaths as the doors closed on them. A small screen over the button panel shared weather updates and promos for the hotel's amenities. Dizzy instead focused on his wet ham smell, imagining him heaving and grunting as he mangled Andy's body. The elevator finally slowed, and for want of something more violent to do, Dizzy spoke just before the doors dinged. Andy wants you to know that when you get to hell, the dead will eat you, she said calmly to his reflection in the mirrored walls. Mr. Dorset froze as Dizzy stepped out and turned to look him in the eye. There was confusion on his face, the kind that couldn't decide whether he was too drunk to have heard her clearly or if he should ask how she knew. He stood there, puzzled, mouth gaping long enough for the doors to start closing again. She'll see you soon, Dizzy added. She made her way as quickly and covertly as she could, 
past the closing bar and the cluster of guests forced to take their loud conversations out beneath the ornate dome of the lobby. She waited until she stepped outside into the rain-slick, neon-drenched night air of Sanguin to take off the gloves and make her call. A nice hotel, the receptionist chirped. Room 624, Jack Dorset's got a body in his suitcase. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Uma was quite dead, and had been for years. She'd been Dizzy's mother, or something like it, and it hadn't exactly come as a surprise when she'd been shot over a game of blackjack with the other lords of Sanguin. That'd been definitely in the top three ways she was likely to go. I need you to take this off my hands, Dizzy said, holding out the ring. They were standing in the desert in one of Dizzy's many summoning circles. Deserts were preferred as they lacked the tangled background static of the city. The dead ain't your bank, girly, Uma replied, with a hoarse, smoked-for-a-century voice. She took the ring anyway, turning it over in her bony hands and rotating it in the sunlight, inspecting it with the least milky of her eyes. Dizzy leaned against the hood of her Chevelle, not really wanting to get into the explanations. It had been a long night, and the cappy cigarettes she smoked to bring the dead back also had the effect of melting the scenery around her. Her phone vibrated menacingly on the dash. Not the ring, she said. There's a woman in it, Andy. She, uh, died badly. I promised her you'd look after her. What, you a ferryman now? Uma laughed, a dry, echoing sound, as if it was coming from the rocks around them. Dizzy shook her head, clenching her jaw, and staring at a divot she was carving in the sand with her boot. She'd braced for the dead walker ferryman jokes, but they still irked the shit out of her. If it was one thing she wasn't, it was some cornball medium with a bad website and an ugly scarf collection getting weepy about your loved one's unfinished business. Where'd you get it? Belongs to a client. 
murder is the client's husband. You have to get Andy out of the ring so I can take it back to the owner. I need the payment, like, yesterday. You don't think she'll have other things on her mind today? Like being married to a murderer? Not my problem. Not your... Oh, dizzy girl still lovesick off that actress. Uma grinned, dead, stretched skin exposing a glittering gold tooth. I get it, but when are you going to stop letting it rule your life? It's been what, a decade? Nothing on that side is going to last forever. You know that. Two, Dizzy glared. It's been two years, and her name is Lonnie. You knew her for fuck's sake. Well, you know how time and everything is on this side. Dear, I'd love to sit here and chop it up with you all day, but I have business. Uma tapped the ring in a thoughtful pause. Actually, there's something I need you to do for me first. Of course there is, Dizzy muttered under her breath. Andre, Dizzy threw her head back, sending her silent curses skyward. Oh, come on, no. Yes, Andre, Uma snapped. He's still making trouble. Everybody he's put down has come to this side with a message for me. And lately, it's been more than usual. He's going to be a problem for you before long, it looks like, too. I'm not going to kill him for you, Dizzy scoffed. I never said anything about you killing nobody. Now listen, he's after this box. It's got some coins in it. Demon stuff. Nothing you'd be interested in. Sure. I took it from him because he was dumb enough to ante it and be shit at poker at the same time. <gasps> but it turns out it's very important, and he's not going to leave me alone until he gets it back. Eternity's a long time to put up with something like that, and you know how I like my quiet. Dizzy closed her eyes. She was hungry, tired and hadn't washed the feeling of being so near a dead body off herself yet. The desert trip was an hour out of her way already. Where's the box, Uma? Buried it. Where? Construction site. God damn it. Fifth and Mercury was supposed to be, uh, uh. She tried to snap her fleshless fingers to jog her memory, but all she got was a bone-scraping sound. A bank, Uma. Fifth and Mercury is a bank, Dizzy deadpanned. Shit. That train derailed. They stared at one another for a while, letting the sun grow its heat and the water Dizzy put out as an offering evaporate. Can you just? Uma started again. Break into a bank? Dizzy fished her car keys from her pocket and held out her hand for Uma to give back the ring. No, forget the girl. I'll get Nico or somebody to do it. You don't have to do it yourself. Just commission the colorman's disciples. They steal shit all the time, Uma insisted, handing it over. And pay them with what money? Dizzy asked, climbing into the car. Go to him directly. He owes me. Listen, it works out for you too. Andre's gonna come for you eventually. He knows how important you are to me. Get those kids to pop into the bank. Lower floors, just behind the cornerstone. You deliver the box to Andre, our drama is over. I take your Andy, and you pay your rent. Dizzy turned the engine over and heaved a sigh. The pleading was new for Uma. Dizzy had never seen her do it before. Maybe things were more dire than the woman was letting on. She cursed herself for her pang of investment and lifted her head to ask what exactly was being done to her. But Uma was already dust again indistinguishable from the sand and stone. The elevator dinged and released Dizzy onto the fourth floor of her building. She lived on the fifth, but she'd take the stairs the rest of the way, in case her landlord Victor was waiting. The apartments here were multi-purpose somehow. It wasn't uncommon for residents to run businesses out of their front rooms. On the fifth floor alone, there was a therapist's office, a masseur, an artist who painted bad music, and what she hoped wasn't a dentist's office, judging by the drilling noises. The emerald green doors beneath a matching coffered ceiling created the illusion of forest canopy against the chevron parquet floors. The fourth story had a damp haze to it and smelled thickly of incense and ayahuasca. 
She dragged herself to the end of the hall and through a gray door, past a dusty window, and up equally gray stairs. These summonings took a lot out of her, and it was all she could do to make it back home on a good day before passing out. She pulled the fifth-story door open just wide enough to glimpse her own door, breathing a sigh of relief to see the coast was clear. Fumbling with her keys, she put one in the lock unsuccessfully before bringing her eyes up high enough to read the note attached to the paint-chipped knocker. Locks changed. You get the key when I get the rent. VC. Ugh, fair enough, she groaned. It wasn't going to keep her out of the apartment, but it was fair enough. She backtracked to the stairwell and the narrow window that opened onto the fire escape. She took those ladders instead to the bedroom window she always left unlocked in case of emergency. The busy street below steamed from last night's rain, and the ramen spot across the way was just transitioning from its drunken to its sleepy lunchtime clientele. Her phone vibrated in her pocket. She checked it instinctively and wished she hadn't. Madame Dorset, well? Call immediately. Lady, you have no idea how badly you don't want me to call you right now, Dizzy muttered to herself. The window opened easily and she climbed inside. The place smelled of ennui and yesterday's coffee. A patterned rainbow of layered sheets was rumpled and exposed on her unmade bed. That's where she tossed her phone. Crates of records and an old guitar collected dust alongside Lonnie's books on the far wall. Lonnie had Dizzy's first playbill from the crane lounge framed, but now it faced the wall in the corner. That had been another life, when she more played the blues than lived it. She stripped gradually as she crossed to her bathroom for a shower. She stepped back out long enough to light incense at her ash-covered altar, sidestepping the doorway burned into the floor and wall. The large iron Ouroboros mounted overhead gave her its disaffected glare, as if it had room to judge with a mouthful of its own tail. Long night, she asked it, frothing toothbrush lolling out of her mouth. The ring she fished out of her pocket and threaded onto a length of ball chain she hung around her neck before she stepped into the steaming shower. The day didn't so much wash off of her as move inside of her. She felt its weight bone deep. Every closing of her eyes saw the same sliver of Andy's drained face. Lonnie had been the eighth victim of a serial killer who'd dropped her off their balcony and then disappeared, never caught, never punished. It was the whole reason Dizzy had given up performing for, well, whatever she was doing now. For all she knew, Jack Dorset had been another killer of many, someone emboldened by her failure to catch the first. Uma hinging her cooperation on a favor wasn't unheard of, but keeping a soul trapped in the balance like this seemed extreme, even for her. Andre Ball was quite literally a man possessed. He'd been the leader of a small-time gang in Sanguine and frequented the same gambling circles Uma did. The Ball part was a haphazard demon who wasn't great at possession. As a result, the two of them fought over the use of his body to occasionally comical effect until they'd started working together to grow their influence. It was the Andre part that had the temper. The Ball part had the power. Things tended to go badly for those who crossed both of them. So naturally, that's what Uma did. Dizzy stepped out and lotioned, thinking it'd be best not to get involved, if only to avoid having to live in a world where Andre Ball knew her face. The colorman was agreeable enough, but no one had time for his Alice in Wonderland shit. She would rest long enough to recharge and summon someone else to take Andy off her hands. Mrs. Dorset would have her ring back by tomorrow morning, and Victor his rent money by tomorrow night. Her phone vibrated again, and Dizzy groaned as she tripped into a pair of sweatpants. Just once, it would have been nice to save a cat up a tree or something pure and trauma-free. But her phone was a bad news machine. The ringing continued as she hopped to her bed and mussed the bedsheets in search of it. It was gone. Gone. She stood still and listened, the hairs on her arms raising. It was ringing, but from somewhere else in the apartment. As quiet as possible, she plucked her gun from the drawer of her bedside table and clicked off the safety, peering down the short hallway that led to her disappointing kitchen and the front room that acted as her office. 
The rooms were still, but she could feel someone was there. Can I help you? She called, pressing herself against the rouge-papered wall. A shadow moved just slightly on the hardwood floor. Miss Carter? The voice was male, sultry, both comfortable and entirely unwelcome. I think you know who it is. Real question here is who am I about to shoot? A scowling mountain of a man stepped from around the corner and filled the entire entryway. His hands were about the size of her head. Dizzy's heart fluttered nervously for a moment. Buddy, you are huge, but a bullet's going to do what a bullet does regardless if I put it through one of your eyes. She aimed upward. No need for all that, said someone who was not the giant. You're going to lower that, though, or Frank's going to have to break your hands before we can talk. What are we talking about? Dizzy replied, not lowering her weapon. For starters, how you and your mama apparently like owing people. He chuckled. Shit. You're Baal, or with him, she said. Come on back, Frank. She's not going to make trouble. Frank stepped back, allowing Dizzy to come fully into the room. Andre Baal was seated at her desk with her phone in his hand. He was small of frame, dark-skinned with one golden eye and a herringbone suit that said he was informed entirely by an obsession with 50s-era gangster flicks. Uma's not my mother, Dizzy told him. Semantics, he waved it off. She took something very valuable from me. Story I heard was you lost it. Got a bad poker face. So she told you about it. I want it back. I'm a gentleman, so I'm asking nicely. You're definitely something, but I can't help you. Andre's jaw unhinged suddenly, going low and violently distended with an alarming crack, as if the demon in him was trying to enter negotiations. He quickly said it again. He stood and buttoned his jacket, casually watching the world outside the long window as he made his way from behind the desk to stand in front of her. This close, she could see the swollen and scarred veins in his face and the tremor of control in his golden eye. His breath smelled terrible, like reheated roadkill. You're going to. A smile twitched on his face. Because if I don't get it back, I'm coming back here. If I come back here, I'm taking your skin off. All of it, in one piece. And when your insides show themselves to me, I'm going to pluck out the juiciest of your organs, and I'm going to make them into something delicious. I'm a lady, Mr. Ball. If you want to eat me, you'll have to buy me flowers first like everybody else. Dizzy smirked. You're funny. He grinned, revealing black gums, and flicked a business card between his long-nailed fingers, just inches from her face. Wooden box. 30 gold coins delivered to this address in the next, oh, 72 hours. When Dizzy didn't take the card, he let it fall to the floor between them. He nodded a goodbye as Frank the Giant opened the door, and they left her to mutter her bitter, aggressive fucks in peace. The colorman himself was a dapper telephone pole of a man, almost impossibly tall and attractively dark with impeccable taste in tailoring. He was most often seen publicly in the form of massive technicolor graffiti murals styled by devoted disciples, known casually as Krylon kids. The murals served as gateways throughout Sanguine, staged in places where he needed eyes or where the kids needed either access or an escape route. Dizzy stalked the row of pocket bars known as Mark Street, because that's what you were if you hung around too long and didn't drink all of your money. As day transitioned to night and paper lanterns switched on, music blared from the ramen shop on one side, and its neon washed the alleyway in blinking magenta and constant buzzing teal. She watched the emerging crowds of off-duty adults for kids with fresh kicks and rattling backpacks. A pair of them moved past her with their heads down. Not suspicious at all, Dizzy thought. She followed them deeper into Mark Street and eventually passed it and down a series of alleyways that emptied into a concrete clearing between two apartment buildings and a laundromat. There were a dozen kids here, all in masks beneath a haze of purple and lime green paint, the colors of the tags going up. 
Can we help you? A girl's voice said loudly, the help emphasized so as to seem more like a threat. Dizzy turned to see a teenager with blue piled high yarn braids glaring at her. Uh, yeah, no, not you. I need to talk to him. The fuck you know about the king? A boy asked menacingly. That he doesn't condone your tone for one thing, Dizzy replied. Behind her, it was clear she was attracting too much unwanted attention. Where disciples amassed, there was usually a job either going down or being set up. She may as well have been a cop. Look, I'm a friend, I'm not here to jam you up. The eyes of the mural shifted to her direction. She at least had the colorman's attention. Hey, she shouted at the wall, walking quickly past the kids before they could swarm her. Hey, can we talk? I'm Desdemona. Uma Carter sent me. They knew each other, or had, years ago. Dizzy had been a bartender by 13, fetching the drinks on Uma's poker nights, and the colorman had been a regular. She remembered him as kind. When you trafficked in information, there was rarely a need to possess a threatening personality. The mural's eyes held on her for an indecisive moment before rolling to the right, where one of the disciples was standing awaiting orders. The kid nodded and approached her. Your hand, he demanded, impatient tone muffled by his mask. Dizzy held out her palm, and he sprayed a black X on it. Go ahead, he said. He left her side, and Dizzy stared disapprovingly at the glistening stickiness coating her hand. The other kids watched as she approached the mural, and she watched them back for a hint that she was doing things either right or wrong. She touched the black hand to the black void at the base of the wall and felt it give as if it wasn't a wall at all. I already regret this, she thought as she stepped the rest of the way through into an arched alcove just off the colorman's kitchen. He stood in shirt sleeves and suspenders, laboring over mise en place, a roiling pot of something violently spiced steaming on the stove behind him. The subtle movements of his head matched the booms and baps of distant big band jazz in the background and shook the turquoise discs suspended from his ears. You're gawking, he said in a deep musical voice without looking up. Don't gawk. Dizzy stepped forward, taking in the view through the tall windows that lined the back wall. Sorry, I don't know what I expected to find, but this wasn't it. You found what you needed to. He'd finished the mincing of his ginger and gave her a pleased scrunch of his nose. I remember you from your shorter days. Still got that scowl. Smiling's only so useful, Dizzy replied. You still take your whiskey in those frosty glasses with the ice globes? Can never get it cold enough. His smile faltered as he studied her. I'm sorry, that was insensitive of me. I'd heard about your girl. I can't imagine you're getting on any better. No, thank you, I'm... Dizzy didn't know how to finish that sentence. She wasn't fine. She wasn't even working through it particularly well. The colorman moved the conversation forward after reading the silence, and she was grateful. Now, what is it I can do for you? Uma's got a problem that recently became my problem. She said you'd help. I'm sure she did. Leave it to her to find a problem even being dead can't shake. He took a seat on a stool behind the island and crossed his legs, waving a dish towel in a gesture of get on with it. There's a box buried behind the cornerstone of the bank at Fifth and Mercury. She needs it to settle a debt and I can't get to it. Who's still after her to collect a debt? Andre Ball. Oh, oh, my darling, you don't want him to get that. Sangin's got its share of characters, but they're people for all intents and purposes. Demons only ever want to bring about more demons. And the more demons in one place, the more hell-like that place becomes. Between the two of us, Sangin's nowhere near equipped. Dizzy rubbed her eyes and drew her hand down over her face. She was so fucking tired. You said Dre became a problem for you recently? Yeah, showed up at my place. The colorman gave her a sympathetic look before turning to empty a harvest's worth of vegetables into the pot. If you truly want the box, I can get it for you. Uma is right that I owe her, but this particular caper has consequences. I guarantee you'll be making more problems for yourself in the future. Dizzy chewed her lip. The center of this problem was Andre. 
He was a threat to Uma, a threat to her, personally, and now apparently the city or some shit. It seemed the logical response was to deal with him directly. She preferred it that way. Yeah, she said, ultimately. I still need the box, and I'd appreciate it. Tomorrow night, then. My disciples will meet you there. Perfect, she replied. She needed to sleep. How do I... Back out the way you came. He pointed with a knife. She turned to feel her way through the pitch black alcove. Desdemona, he called. He'd never used her nickname. If you ever need anything in the search for Miss Baxter's killer, he gave her a meaningful look. I will, thank you. Dizzy nodded and headed out the way she'd come in. Fifth and Mercury was one corner of a bustling roundabout, suited better to the swarms of pedestrian traffic than anyone in a car. Dizzy parked on the edge of it, rolling her cappy cigarettes and ignoring the demands of her phone. After a nap, she'd gone to the address Andre had given her and drawn Vivi symbols in chalk on the parking lot in front of it to set her stage for the evening. The taggers blended in with the moving throngs and were barely noticed as they crafted a quick and impressively elaborate gateway on the side of the bank building, raising gloved middle fingers and hurling taunts at the cameras that watched over the traffic. Dizzy chuckled and shook her head at the audacity of youth. The girl with the electric blue yarn braids disappeared inside the gate for maybe 30 seconds before reappearing with what appeared to be a wooden jewelry box. She showed it to one of her cohorts, who shrugged and pointed across the circle to where Dizzy was sitting in her car. She was impressed they'd even known where to find her. A green X went up over the gateway and the kids dispersed, heading in separate directions. The girl came to the passenger side of Dizzy's car and placed the box onto the seat, the coins inside jingling gently. Courtesy of the king, she said. Thanks, Dizzy replied, but she'd barely gotten the word out before the girl was moving on. She turned the engine over and headed across town, back to Andre's hideout in what had once been a firehouse. It was embedded in Sanguine's small industrial area, the one part of the city that saw itself abandoned and in the shadows of their neon night. She parked in the back of the parking lot, behind the scattered vehicles of, presumably, his henchfolk, and sparked a cigarette. The ring with Andy in it throbbed against her chest like a second heartbeat. I'll get you home soon, girl, Dizzy muttered as she exhaled, opening the box. Inside, she found a velvet satchel, heavy with ancient gold coins, bearing the profile of a face she didn't recognize. Common sense suggested this is what Andre was after, not the box itself. She stashed the coins in the glove box and grabbed her gun out of it before taking the box and stepping out of the car. Her vision was already wobbling as she crossed the parking lot. It was separated from the street by a chain-link fence, propped open by disrepair. Orange street lamps stretched shadows long like tiger stripes over the damp asphalt. She placed the box on the curb, entering the parking lot, centering on the hideout door, and muttered words of a familiar incantation. She carefully made slow, sauntering steps to keep her balance as she moved to the Vivi glyphs on either side of her to tap a welcoming cappy ash over them. As she spoke, the ash took on the appearance of tendrils and then wisps of bone reaching up from the other world. One arm, three arms, six arms each. They grew at her plea, grasping for the air and earth they remembered. Returning to a seat on the hood of her car between her blazing headlights, she sparked another one and dialed the number on Andre's business card, keeping her breathing steady and her mind focused lest the cappy overtake her senses completely. Yeah, said a voice on the other line. Hello, yeah, she replied with a drunken snicker. This is Dizzy Carter, I'm outside. Who? Ah, you know, Uma's daughter. Hold on. There were sounds of curt conversation and a phone being handed off. This is Mr. Bow. Uh-huh. You got about 30 seconds to send your goons out to collect before I pawn these expensive looking coins. Girl, who the fuck are you talking to? 26 seconds, she replied and hung up. In the 24 seconds that followed, Dizzy dragged and inhaled deeply on her cappy cigarette. 
letting the feeling of freedom coast over and through her, that perfect state of dead drunk and living high. My friends, I have an offering for you, she told the growing spirits, her exhaled smoke dividing among the runes before her. A threat to the dead is a threat to the living. These neither of us can abide. The dead agreed, a unified hiss like steam from city grates rising from the ground. Andre's people exited the building a couple at a time, each checking the pavement on their side of the street before squinting into her headlights. Dizzy pulled her power from where it flowed through her fingers and toes back to her core and issued a task to the dead assembled to sort their threat. Eat. Arms made of smoke reached out to the dozen henchmen pouring from the building, wrapping their bodies tightly and rending their limbs. The dead tended to miss their blood. They enjoyed the marvel of seeing it spread in pinwheel whirls as bodies were twisted into slivers, crushed and compacted. Now that their shells were heaps of particulate on the pavement, their souls were dragged back through the Vivi gateways and the street was silent again. Not one of them had been Andre. Dizzy stood and pulled her weapon, stepping carefully toward the hideout's open doorway, avoiding what remained of the slick viscera leaking into the manhole covers. She didn't know a thing about exercising demons, but a bullet ought to handle the host at least. Her phone rang, and in her altered state, she answered it. Carter, where the hell are you? Her landlord seemed particularly feisty tonight. Relax, Vic, I'll see you in the morning. There's a woman here banging on the damn door all day, I- Mrs. Dorset could be heard in the background, demanding to speak to her. Dizzy hung up before that could happen. Dre, I got something for you, she called sweetly as she moved through the building. The interior was uninspired, if only because she didn't have the presence of mind to inspect and judge it thoroughly. Andre whipped around a brick corner suddenly and raised a gun of his own. You bitch! Dizzy put one in his kneecap, and the rest of the threat burst into a scream as he fell to the ground. Good to know bullets were effective. I think we misunderstood each other, she said, standing over him. You mistook me for someone who was afraid of you. I mistook you for more than a gangster. Andre's jaw unhinged and his eyes bulged a guttural, otherworldly sound issuing forth. This was Baal. Perfect. She took aim. When you get back to hell, let the rest of them know me and mine are off limits. Baal lunged clumsily in Andre's injured mortal body, and Dizzy put one through his mouth and out of the base of his skull. He fell with a thud. The demon's departure, a sort of wet fizzle as his host's decay began instantly. Blue-black Iker dashed slick across a dark mural mounted to the wall behind him. It was a wood carving, intricate and impressive in its size. In fact, now that she had a chance to take in the scene, the corners and surfaces of the room were stacked with flat parcels, artwork judging by glimpses of gilded frames. Big Bad Ball was dealing in black market art? Whoops, Dizzy muttered punchy as the cappy and adrenaline had worn off. She now watched as the mural's grooves and nooks and crannies bubbled away to nothing. The demon's blood ate away at it like acid. She was no art person, but she was sure somebody wasn't getting their money back on this one. No matter, she snaked her way back to the entrance, leaving the door ajar as she stepped back into the humid night air. Her phone vibrating in her pocket felt a lot like the tingling of her drugged limbs. She let it ring, chuckling to herself as she started the engine, imagining Vince and Mrs. Dorset getting to know each other loudly outside her apartment. Like I said at the top, I love this genre. I'm an absolute sucker for supernatural noir, and I think L.D. Lewis just nails it. Yes, and it's so snarky and voice-driven. Yeah. Um, so you feel, like, immediately hooked from the beginning, and, like, you know this person, or, like, you know Dizzy. Um, and the underworld of the dead, what I liked about it is that it was, like, even after death, which usually people paint as, like, you're at peace, or, like, something like that, There's people are just stuck on their, like, petty right. vengeance 
um, missions. There's still shenanigans. Yeah, there's so many shenanigans. Um, and I just thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And L.D. Lewis has other stories set in this universe as well. So if you like Dizzy in the Weeds, be sure to look them up. Also, if hard-boiled women of color conducting supernatural investigations is your jam, check out The Shadow Files of Morgan Knox. It's an 11-episode series you can listen to right now. Look for it on the Realm Network. Well, that's all for now. Thanks, as always, Nicole, for aiding and abetting. Of course. And if you think our show has moxie, drop us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. And join us next time when we'll take a disturbing deep dive into the psychology of the relationship between vampires and their familiars. Until then, pleasant nightmares. You're listening to Stories to Keep You Up at Night. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Stories to Keep You Up at Night, episode 84, features Dizzy in the Weeds by L.D. Lewis. It is produced by Marco Palmieri and Kaylin West. Associate produced by Angela Yee and Devin Shepard. And executive produced by Molly Barton, Julian Yap, and Mary Osadolahi. Hosted by Marco Palmieri and Nicole Otto. Performed by Keeler Lee. Audio edited by Corey Barton. Additional editing by Angela Yee. Original theme by Hashem Osadolahi featuring drummer Andrew Niven, and mixed by Max Kuttner. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Find more shows like Stories to Keep You Up at Night by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.